0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Humor and Mistakes with me, McNeil. Each week we have a guest on our show to discuss mistakes, mishaps, and missteps that they've made throughout life. We hope to find wisdom and a few laughs along the way. This week, I'm here with Dink Kearney, the host of Liquor House Comedy on Amazon Prime and the author of the best-selling book, The Sparrow Will Fly. How are you doing, Dink? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me, dude. I'm excited for you to yeah. be here. We talked about this a while ago, and we just never made it happen.
1: Right, right, man. I'm yeah. Once again, man, I'm I'm glad you um invited me, you know, on the show, man. Yeah, we did talk about it, so I'm glad to be on the show, man, and um, you know. It- you know, just talk about everything, you know. Yeah, I, I would come up to you after, like, I think a couple times i was be like, yeah,
0: man, can I get you on the show? And you're like, you already asked me, and I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you know, I said, yeah, man, he must have been drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to have a
1: little fun. Right, right, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm glad to be on the show, man. You know, you've been a comedian. We're both comedians, man. I want to do my part to help support you and, and what you're doing and whatnot. So, um, so tell me about yourself. Tell the people about yourself. I know who you are. Oh man, well, what is there to say? I got six children, I'm married, Um, I have a granddaughter, I'm a comedian, I'm the author of a book, a best-selling book called The The Sparrow Will Fly, I have a comedy special out called Get Rachi that's on Amazon Prime right now, doing really good, also uh, my my comedy special is going to be seen, I mean, can be heard on Pandora, in addition to that, I'm the host of Liquor House Comedy. And that can be seen on Amazon Prime. You can hear it on Pandora, Spotify, Tidal, Google Play. Um, and now it's going to be picked up on the air film stations in North Carolina, California, Colorado, Texas, and Canada.
0: So, in other words, you're a hustler.
1: Yeah, I'm a hustler. And, and, and I work a
0: full-time job. He's got on the Dink Comedy shirt.
1: Like, Dink that is com- advertisement yeah. right there. Yeah, man. Yeah, if you um on Instagram Live right now, this is... Uh, the Dink comedy shirt So if you want one I have some of my shows Y'all come check it out And right now If y'all listening um, This is 103.5 FM And I'm with the host of the show The great Justin McNeil <laughs> Wow this, You got it down pat You got your advertisement down pat You're Absolute. good man I need, to, uh, yeah. I need to be
0: taking notes As I interview you Ab- No you got to take notes <laughs> uh, Don't take notes I might say the wrong thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> So have you always been a comic well, yeah, man, you know, I've always, people have always told me I was funny. I always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I was afraid to take that next step. Because once I said I wanted to do it, then everybody would have been saying, yo, man, you need to you need to do it. You need to hit on that stage. So I just kept waiting and um, waiting. And then one day, man, I, um, I guess you could say I had an epiphany, man. I had been thinking about it, and I decided to do it. I said, you know what, I'm going to do this. and um, So I, I got up one day and wrote down some jokes. And that whole day, I just, something was pushing me like, yo, you're going on to that stage. You're you going, you going to the open mic. There's, and, and I just knew I had to do it. Unless you get shot. You unless don't. I get shot. there was no. I didn't get no cold feet. Um, something was just saying, you're going to go to that stage. So, man, I go to the second win right over here. Okay. First open mic. I get on stage, Justin, nobody's laughing. Really, I mean, nobody's laughing. I said, "No, I said, what did I get myself into? What you know? What was I thinking?" So, man, the very last joke I have, they start laughing. Two guys, two comedian, two two dudes that turned out to be comedians started laughing. I said, "I found my audience, and I'm gonna keep doing it." And I've been doing it ever since then, and that was only three years ago. Really, August twenty fourth, twenty fifteen, made three years. Oh, you got the date down. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, man, because you know, you know how it is when you first start stand up it's it's rough yeah when you first get on the stage man you like oh this is different than telling jokes on the porch to your mom your dad your family and friends and it was different but it was eye-opening and ever since then i just kept going to the mics kept writing kept doing it and then um ty banks um hit me up about a year in he said yo dink you know man i'm about to do liquor house comedy so i want you to be the host he said, how you feel about it? I said, cool. And he told me everything we are going to do. He said, I'm going to put it on all these platforms, the ones I just mentioned, Amazon Prime, Pandora, and all that. And he made me the host of it. And the rest is history. It's just blowing up, man. It's really doing well. And it's, you know, we what we try to do with Lookout is try to get all the up-and-coming comedians in this area on the stage, you know. And we did our last, our last show was at Charlie Goodnights. Sold out, 10.30 show, and they had to turn people away. Our next show was November 10th.
0: Hey, man. And the thing is, you're humble because when I first started, you walked up to me and started talking to me. I was like,
1: okay, this dude's yeah, nice. Absolutely, man. Look, man, um, comedy makes you humble. I mean, first of all, I'm a humble person anyway, yeah. especially where I come from. And then when you get into comedy, I remember when I started, and nobody really told me how to do this. Nobody tells you how to do it. Well, I feel like they can't because you have to do it your way. Yeah, but they can give you advice. You no, know, I if let's say there was an up and coming comedian and I could take him under my wings. I could help him or her out a whole lot more than what and then tell them and show them how to avoid the pitfalls, you know. What would you tell them? One I'd tell them stick to who you want to be as a comedian first and foremost. If you want to be clean, be clean. If you want to be in between that and dirty, do that. If you want to be dirty, raw, do that. Be <laughs> I tell people this, man. Be who you are as a comedian, just like be who you are as a person. I know my comedy ain't for everybody. I know I'm raw as they come. Oh yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> I know I can do clean, but I know who as a comedian. I know what I like. I like to be raw and raunchy. <laughs> I like to talk about stuff that's off the edge. And, oh, I've been in the crowd and somebody, uh, somebody like, like, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh my god. You know, I, and you know, I want to talk about like in ghetto raunchy. <laughs> I talk about a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of ghetto stuff, but that's the stuff I want to talk about, the stuff I've seen and the stuff I hear everybody else talk about. I can't go out here and say, okay, I'm going to do clean comedy. Can I do clean? Absolutely. I did a show in um, South Carolina back in July at a church, 25 minutes clean. I can do clean. And even though it was clean, it was stuff that I that I, I know people can relate to. And yeah. I, I want to be like that. I want to do comedy that's relatable. And that's what I would tell another comedian. Be yourself. You have to be. I don't care what nobody say. I don't care if this person over here saying, "Oh, clean pays more." That's true to a certain degree. Yeah. Comedy, look, I do a lot of shows where they know I'm raw, <laughs> all right, and and I tell them that I say, "Look, if you if you you tell me what you want and I'm I'm gonna do it." They're like, "Yeah, we want somebody's ready to." I said, "Okay, cool, I can do that." So I'm not saying clean comedy don't pay more because clean does pay, but and you can, for for I guess. For example, if if you want to be on a night show, you got to be clean. I got clean jokes. I could do that. But at the end of the day, I would tell a comedian, "Be yourself." You you have to be. You have to be yourself because I can't be no other comedian. You
0: it's know, it's always awkward when you see someone on stage and you're like, "That's not. It doesn't. It just doesn't
1: fit." Right. Like, like when I did my special, a lot of people that came to see it, see it that knows me that know yeah. me all my life said, "Oh, he's that's really who he is. He's worse than that." Yeah. Off the stage, and that's what I want them to see because that's that's who i've always been man i'm not changing for nobody i told this veteran comedian gonna tell me hey man you be cursing too much on stage blah 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 and um i said look i'm not changing who i am i said if you want to critique me and give me some advice on maybe jokes or or a and stuff i'm all ears i I can take you know constructive criticism especially as a comedian because i want to grow but i ain't changing what i'm saying
0: well, see, I fell victim too when I first started I doing trying not to offend anybody, man. and I was
1: like, "I was like, I gotta you, get out of Chapel Hill because I man, have. <laughs> I, I'm gonna tell you something. You 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 know you can't do you know I'm glad you figured it out because you got to be Justin McNeil when you on that to. thing because see what happens. Oh, I'm not gonna offend nobody. Well, then you writing your jokes not defend nobody. I write my jokes. It ain't about offending nobody. It's about what people see. Yeah, it's about what people can experience. Like, people say, oh, you shouldn't do political jokes. I agree, depending on where you're going. See, I can do political jokes about Trump based off of my crowd. There's a lot of, um, like here in Chapel Hill, I've said Trump jokes because this is a liberal town. Yeah, They don't like Trump. Black people definitely don't like him. <laughs> they hate so him. So I'm going to say him. Now, if I was going down to rural Alabama, I ain't talking about Trump. I'm talk- I might talk about Trump like, hey, Trump said do this and do that. Hey, you know. <laughs> I would probably play to the crowd a little bit more, but I, but it'll speaking be a, in a country
0: accent, yeah. But
1: it, but it'll be but see it'll be a joke about Trump, but it'll be catering to the crowd, and that's something else I learned too doing stand-up. So I've been in matter of fact, I did um I did a show a couple of years ago I think in um, Youngsville, North Carolina. I was the host. It's and um basically, it's a um, very rural area in Franklin County. So, <laughs> uh, the place looked like a tavern. It looked like a saloon <laughs> where we had it at. Yeah. So, you know, it was a lot of country people there. There was a lot of um, older white people there. Um, and I knew if I talked about Trump, I, I had to be careful. So, I did talk about Trump, but I talked about funny stuff about Trump, things that they would probably like, because it was a Trump crowd. Yeah. And they liked it. I was saying pro-Trump stuff. You know, I I know it's on air, so I can't say the stuff I wanted to say, but I said some things and I twisted around and they liked it. So, you know, you play to your crowd. Yeah,
0: I have. You know, a, you play
1: to your crowd and that, that's what I did, you know.
0: Yeah, I have a bit about uh white people loving animals too much. Yeah. And, like, it's, it's to tell them, like, maybe we should care about humans
1: the most. Uh, <laughs> uh It did not go over in an all-white crowd. Right. <laughs> See, that's the beauty about comedy. You have to know your crowd. Exactly. I didn't know that at first. Like, somebody said, hey, well, you gotta know your crowd. You gotta have... This set of jokes and that set of jokes so the the smart way to do that I said I'm gonna write jokes that I like and if it's a certain crowd and they can't take those jokes don't put me on the show I'm not I'm not gonna go to a show where they say okay you can't talk about all these topics and I know I got those topics And I'm not gonna do the show well I think- I'm not I'm not I'm not okay how much they paying because that's another thing man I'm not I'm not going to do a show where I'm I'm limiting myself and what I want to say. Well, you got to be clean and you can't say sex jokes and you can't say you can't talk about this and you can't talk about that. Well, you get to somebody else.
0: Well, I also think on a so that's good on a micro scale, but on yep. a macro scale. Right. If if all comedians did that, then we could talk about whatever. But as long as comedians keep buying into, you can't talk about this, you can't tell jokes about this, then on the macro scale, we're all going to be limited. Like every comedian's got to do their part.
1: And, and you know, exactly. And and I'm going to say this. Comedy is, to me, the one place I think you should be able to go and you should be able to say whatever the hell you want to say. Agreed. Now, I'm going to give you a prime example. Um, Is it, oh, man, Lapa Lisa Lapanelli? Lapanelli. Lapanelli. Le- yeah. I watched one of her sets one time years ago. She said the N-word. I mean, she said the N-word like she was an overseer. Like she was on a plantation. <laughs> she just kept saying it. She kept saying it. and I was like, I started, I started feeling myself getting mad. But you know what? I took a step back. I said, you know what? If that's what Lisa wants to say on stage, and that's her fan base, have at it. I mean, because just like I want to go and say the N-word, and I want to talk about certain jokes, I, it ain't up to me to tell her what jokes she can say on stage. Can I be offended by it? Yeah, I could be offended by it, but also I got to understand she's doing comedy. She's on stage, and she's an act, and she's entertaining people. She's entertaining her people so she can have at it. Because yeah. somebody said, well, how do you feel about it? I said, well, initially I didn't like it, but then I had to understand she's a comedian. She's on stage. She's telling jokes, and she's telling them to her base. It's an act. It's no different if she was in the movie saying it. How many times we watched the movie and they, they've said the N-word or they've said some other derogatory things that we didn't, that we didn't like. We kept it in the context of a movie. So I kept it in the context of she's doing stand-up comedy. And that's why I say if you don't like that person's comedy, you have the liberty not to listen to it. People want
0: to police the world.
1: It's, yeah. it's funny to me how we've gone from one
0: extreme to where, you know, the right was trying to police the right, world right, and what you can right. say. Now it's the left trying to police the world and what you can say. And it's just like, let people say what they want and if you don't
1: like it, turn off the radio. Right.
0: Don't go to the movie. You don't, know. Yeah,
1: like, like for example, man, if I, I got some jokes uh, in Ghetto Rachi that's sexually explicit uh, and it, it was, I was basically talking about um, a white woman. Now, I'm going to tell you why I told that joke. I talked about that joke because... A lot of black men and a lot of white men can relate to that joke I said about a white woman. Now, of course, some wh- a white woman might hear that joke and say, oh, that's not, I don't like it, blah, blah, blah. Fine, you ain't got to like it. <laughs> but this is what they're saying in the real world. Yeah. Period. So I take it as this is the jokes I'm going to talk about because I'm representing the people in the real world. And the people that came to see Gettarachi knew, okay, that's what he, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these certain issues of what the case may be. And that's how I look at it with any comedian. I told somebody, I said, man, I don't care if a comedian get on stage and say the N-word. They, they Look, they ain't send it to my face. They're not running for the president. They're not running, you know, for office or nothing like that. They're on stage. If they want to say that, oh, well, I just don't have to listen to it. And some people didn't like it. Some black people said, oh, man, you, you shouldn't feel that way. I said, no. I said, you, you got to look at the context of it. I said, how many times you get mad at Quentin Tarantino when he have the N-word used in and his movies. And somebody white in. You don't say, hey, I'm going to boycott that movie. Entertainment is entertainment. And like I said, I can disagree with what type of comedy they have. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's comedy. It's entertainment. I just won't tune into them just like Facebook. True. True. You know, I put those pictures up all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I put them up all the time. And there have been people that didn't like them.
0: Oh, you have some. You have, you definitely have borderline pictures. Where you like, yeah. <laughs> what do you think about
1: this? And you right. make a
0: a joke. Oh man. Yeah.
1: So, I had people that wanted to argue with me on it, and I told them, I said, scroll by. I don't get. I don't tell these same people who want to put J- Jesus saves me every five minutes and type amen and, and you know whatever. I don't get on them about that. I believe in God and all that, but I don't get on them about that stuff or they posting. Pictures of the ugly grandbabies. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I just scroll by.
0: People do have some ugly kids. Yeah, they got some ugly kids. And, and
1: I never want to say anything. I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't put, maybe you shouldn't put your kid up there like that. I'm glad you said that. See, that's the stuff I'm, that's the stuff I say when I'm on stage. Because everybody's thinking it. Or, you, right. know, what,
0: you know what I think the most is those couples that break up all the time. And right. then they are like, we've been together five years. I'm like, eh, no, you haven't.
1: Exactly. <laughs> See, I'm glad see, I'm glad you brought that up. That's what I'm talking about. Those the jokes I want to tell and I do tell when I'm on stage. You know how many people feel the way you do. Exactly. I saw somebody put a picture up of their grandbaby. That baby looked like Benjamin Button. And I don't know why they put that baby up on stage. I'm looking at that baby like, come on. That baby look older than me. I mean, that baby look older than me. I mean, how you put a brand new baby up, look like Benjamin Button, first of all. The baby look like it can go rent a car. <laughs> what baby you know can move their eyes like a grown man, like Chucky? Like literally, man, the baby could the baby could move his eyes like Chucky. Like, I'm like, what is this? You got a baby that look like a grown man. The baby didn't even move like a baby. The baby moved like I'm moving right now. I'm like, that that baby demonic. <laughs> If my if I had a grandchild, I I got a lovely granddaughter. If my son granddaughter looked like that, I was like, man, you take that off! <laughs> don't you ho, do that? Ho,
0: ho, we'll hope it grows out of it. I hope it grows up. But see, man,
1: <laughs> that's the stuff I'm talking about.
0: You know, and yeah, I, I wish more people would say what people were thinking because
1: everybody's thinking it. Yeah, everybody's. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna do it in the confines of a place that's that's fine. Now I will say this: there are things I don't joke about on stage. I don't talk about. Um, I don't talk about people with mental illness, when I say mental, well, I say mentally challenged people, yeah. you know, somebody that, you know, they used to say, retarded, I don't do that, I don't do rape jokes, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's things I don't touch, you know, although I think a person can say those things on stage and get away with it, yeah. it's just some things I don't touch, you know, I, 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 and if another comedian wanted to joke about that, have at it, I, I don't, certain things I don't do, just like when I post those pictures, I won't post pictures of uh, people that has uh, some type of handicap or mental illness. Cha- you know um, Mentally challenged um, You know Rape stuff I don't do stuff like that You know yeah. it jokes, You've seen the pictures I put up you there, know. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's clearly a line Yeah there's a line Yeah so I do have a heart You know <laughs> <laughs> You have a heart uh, so, I do have a heart
0: man So Well We're, we're touching on this A little bit but okay. Let's talk about your, your mistakes That you've made Throughout life uh, I made a lot
1: Really now I made a lot of mistakes I made a lot of mistakes In my early 20s When I When I I was in the 82nd Airborne Division.
0: Oh, you were in the Army?
1: When I was in the Army. Okay. A lot of people find that hilarious that I was in the military, but I was in the military. Were I you disciplined? Yeah, I was disciplined. Yeah. Okay. And that's another, th- I'm going to get back to what you said. That's another thing. You can be a comedian and be a clown and, and be disciplined too. When I went into the military, I was 18 years old. I went in and I I wanted to I wanted to jump out of airplanes because at, at first, they well, at first I was supposed to go to Germany. And then the 82nd Airborne Division said we need... We need people with your MOS, which is your job, um, at Fort Bragg. And they said, they said, uh, Mister Kearney, you from North Carolina, blah blah blah. Would you like to do it? I said, Yeah, man, I want to be Black Rambo and all that. But Anyway, I was in 82nd <laughs> Airborne Division. I went in the military. Could barely drink a beer. When I got out, I could drink a, a twelve pack in like an hour. <laughs> so, by oops. the way,
0: Black Rambo does not exist because you cannot threaten a cop and live. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you know, you know, you can't be black. No, you can't threaten a no cop. No, so I guess
1: I to just be a, a black boat, You know, okay, okay. but yeah, when I got went in the military, man, I, I saw a lot of stuff. I didn't recognize how it affected me at the time, so I did more drinking when I got out. I wasn't an alcoholic, but I made a lot of mistakes. I think a lot of it had to do with the stuff that I saw when I was in the military, things that I did, and when I got out, man, I, I did a lot of stupid stuff. I got tickets. My license got suspended. Um, I was fighting. I go in the clubs, man. And back then, I ain't weigh but like, one forty five. But my my temperament was quick. Like you were just looking for a fight. No, I wasn't looking. But if you said something stupid, I'm ready to fight. Cause okay. see, when I was in eighty second Airborne division, that's all we did was train.
0: So you were zero to a hundred. Like there was no. And if you, you there was no forty five degrees where you're trying to talk. No,
1: no, man. Well, no. No, I mean I didn't start no trouble, but. Just growing, just being in the 82nd Airborne Division, um, in that environment, you know, where mentally I wanted you to be strong, wanted you to do this, jump here, be on 24-7. And it, and I think I kept a lot in. You know, joking, I always joke. So I had some type of outlet, but I kept a lot of stuff in, you know, because there's certain things I saw, too. And, and and I didn't recognize then at 22, 23, how it affected me. You know, I really didn't. I, I started drinking more. And, like I said, man, I was in the club. Matter of fact, I was in the club one night, me and two of my friends. And I asked this girl if she wanted to dance. And I had a, I asked to carry two beers in my hand, and I said, to drink, because that's how much I was like to drink. Oh, I so had, you had two? I had one in one hand that was open. I had another in this hand, because this one was going to be done in no time. And I always had two in my back pocket. Well, anyway. What? Yeah. So it, And it was Budweiser. That was my favorite drink. So, my favorite beer at the time. So, I was in the club, and I asked this girl, I said, hey, you want to dance? And. She said, no, I'm good. I want that. I said, okay, cool. When this little short gremlin dude came, and said, hey man, don't try to, he me, said, Hey man, don't try to talk to my girl. I said, man, I said, blah, blah, blah. I said, What are you talking to? And I had the bottle that I was been drinking, I had it in my hand. And I got ready to take it and hit him on side of his head with it. And my friend grabbed me. He said, You can't do that, man. He said, So he said, man, let's get up out of here. I said, I ain't going nowhere. I was pissed because I wanted to keep drinking and have a good time. Well, he must have been part of the gremlin family because as soon as I turned around, man, it was about fifteen little small gremlins, <laughs> and we was in the country in Nightdale. And It was about fifteen little ugly roach gremlin looking fellas, and I said, "Man, I said hell with them. I don't care if they're here." Blah blah. blah. I said, "Man, we gotta go. We gotta go." I can't tell all the story because I will say this: I went to my trunk. I said, "No problem. I got something for him." I used to carry around. The sh- I used to carry around a twelve gauge, a Mossberg, sawed off, and. I went in my trunk. I said, watch this. This is how my mind was going. This is how crazy I was back then. I said, watch this. I got, I got my pump. I picked it up and I shot it in the dirt and they scattered. And they I guess they called the car and said, baby, I got to go. So he in the car and we left, man. But that's the type of stuff I was doing. I didn't get in trouble for that. But I got several tickets. Um, I got in trouble for fighting.
0: How quickly did they scurry? Like I, man, I feel like they, a shotgun gets people
1: running. Uh, well, just imagine a bunch of black folks, when when they they dancing outside, and they hear gunshots, and they take off running. They ran like that. Man, they ran like they ran like roaches, bro. Like, they cut the lights, and they were gone. <laughs> but, but see, at the time, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't recognize what was going on with me until later on. I went to the hospital, and they said, oh, you know, you probably experiencing this and that. So, in my early 20s, man, I said- So, no one told you, like- no one pulled you aside like, hey man. No, because see, man, I'm not a I wasn't I've never been a mean person. Yeah. I've always got along with people. You know, it takes a lot to get me mad. Yeah. What was what was happening then is that I had been affected by things I had seen in the military and I suppressed it and I didn't know it. And it caused a lot of anger. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't in the military, I couldn't knock I couldn't hit or fight the, you know, my my sergeants or commanding officers. So I went. I, I ended up drinking a lot. I right. I was drink a lot, and and, I, and as a result of drinking, I was drinking. Drive. I was drinking. Drive, man. Like it was water. I stayed drinking. I mean, I it was enough for me to. It was enough for me to drink. Was this in the nineties? Yeah, mid nineties. Yeah, I just yeah. I was. I even in the military, mm-hmm. I would drink. I would drink alcohol and drive like I had aquafina water beside me, bro, and I what? drove
0: better. What was the wake-up call? Because if, if shooting a shotgun at a club isn't a um, wake-up call.
1: I got it. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like someone would be like, hey, Dink, maybe I, we should talk about it. <laughs> I, I put it to you like this. I kept, little things kept happening. Okay. Fight here, fight there. Get pulled over. Get, get um, drive driving no insurance. Stuff like that. What happened, I got myself in some mixed up with the wrong people, man. And we got to court. I'm going to tell you this story. Um guy had some computers, whatever, they were stolen. They got they tried to pin it on me and I ain't, I ain't dude, I ain't know nothing about no computers. To this day, I mean I'm more literate now, but they tried to say, Oh, you took these computers. So we get to get to go to court. The judge was like, Well, you know, you're facing seven years. I'm gonna give you about seven years. And what happened, I didn't get seven years that they was gonna put me they put me on probation. For something I didn't do. And I recognized then how my freedom was that close to being taken. But just being just doing stupid stuff and not understanding what was really going on with me at the time. And that was my wake-up call. I was about 25 then. And what I did, I said, man, I said, I'm not one of these castes in and out of jail because I grew up with a lot of guys in Raleigh who was in and out of jail. And I'm like, man, that ain't my life. So it was a wake-up call for me because I was about to go to jail. But still, even then on probation, I was still fighting. I still hadn't got my lesson. But Slowly and surely and, sh- and surely, I went to the VA hospital, and I was, talking to, um, I was talking to this veteran one day, and come to find out he was a counselor, he said, you need to come to some of the group meetings. He said, I think maybe you got some anger issues, and you might got some other stuff. He said, you might got PTSD. I said, what is PTSD? Hmm. And he explained to me what it was, post-traumatic stress disorder. So I, I went to these counselor sessions, man, and um, they, you know, we talked and whatever, and I had an outlet to talk about the things that I had experienced in the military. And a lot of things I had ball I had bottled up for so long. Now all my life I made jokes about it, to family and friends about oh I did this in the military. But what I did recognize, man, I needed I needed some type of help. That's why I was drinking so much, man, because I had I, I was on a lot of stress. And also at the time, I separated from my oldest my oldest son. Mom. We had split up. That was another factor. Um, that was also another factor. Um, that was another another factor in in what was going on. You know, I was in love with her. We we had split up. Um, I didn't like her. She didn't like me. That's how, yeah. So that's how it happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so so what happened, man? Um, I went there, and you know, I had a group I could talk to about my anger issues, and they they tried to say maybe you got PTSD or whatever, and um, that was a wake up call for me. And then I recognized why I was drinking so much. Why I we'll would fight so much? Because now I found a rooted problem. They said, we like you got the symptoms of PTSD. So they want to talk about things I, I saw. And I, I ain't going to talk about that here. But I, I told them stuff I saw. and They said, oh, yeah, you probably do got it. Yeah. I said, you think that's what it is?
0: How did I, you get over the hump of talking to people? Because I know that's always a, a stigma.
1: Well, for me, I was meeting like-minded people, veterans, who had been in the same situations. They said, I did the same thing. I saw the same stuff. I did exactly what you was doing. Some of them was not in addition to drinking. A lot of them was smoking and doing other hardcore drugs. I wasn't doing I was doing was mainly drinking. I might have smoked a couple of things, but I was mainly drinking. So now I had people who had faced the same things I had faced. So once I saw that, I said, okay. And in addition, I knew I was on probation. And I said, oh, okay, so this is what I'm acting like I'm doing. So I kept going to the classes. I stopped drinking. I, st- I mean, I kept drinking, but I stopped. I knew why I was drinking. So now I could control it. I felt like I didn't have to drink to let these problems go away. You I,
0: didn't need four beers. Man, I didn't, four beers.
1: I didn't need four beers. I didn't need four um, beers. I didn't need no gin. I didn't need all that stuff because certain things would just trigger my mind too. So I didn't need all that stuff. I've recognized now. I said, oh, that's, the, that's why you would become quick temper with these people. That's why you wanted to fight these people. So now I, I knew the root of the problem. And once I knew the root of it, I changed everything around. I I was I enrolled at Wake Tech. And then from Wake Tech, I transferred to North Carolina Central. And I majored in... Um, initially, I majored in English. And then I um, I switched over to history with a minor in mass communication and journalism. Because I had enough credit for English, too. So, And then I graduated from there in 2000. So I got myself back on track, and I was working with the government. And then I... Um, I went to NC State grad school to the counseling education program and I, and um I graduated from there in 2003. So by that time I was working with veterans. But I had that's how I changed myself around because I saw the error in my ways once I went to the VA, the VA counseling meetings. That's what really changed my thinking and everything because I had got to the point, man, man, I I ain't know – life just wasn't fair. You know, I was and I was paying child support Here's another thing. I was paying child support and I was working like three jobs. And I couldn't afford it. And I was just like, man, life just is not fair, man. So I had a lot of anger. I I felt like in the military, I got betrayed in the military. I felt like I should have retired out of the military. because That was one of my goals. I felt like I got screwed over in that. And then all the other things I seen that happened and couldn't get help for. So you add all that when you're 23, 24 years old and, you know, alcohol is your only um, that's your only medicine, you is know, it, and, and, and what little and, and what little comedy I could yeah, I could give to people. But th- that's that's where I was at. And that's that's how I overcame all that. man. That's how I, I got out of that. That con- conundrum, if you want to call it that,
0: is it cool to look back on how far you've come? Because yep. you, you've written a book now. You work with
1: veterans.
0: Yep. you're helping out.
1: Absolutely. It's I look back now and I and, and I tell people you can, you can, you can learn from your mistakes, but you don't let your mistakes make you, and you don't keep dwelling on them. You use your mistakes as a building block to do more successful things. There are people this day, Justin, that are surprised that I am. I've accomplished so much. They said, "I never thought you'd write a book." Heck, they never thought I'd graduate from college, let alone get a master's degree and take PhD courses. They never thought that. They never thought. That can you
0: blame them? I'm not meanly. Can you blame them if you pull out a shotgun at a club? Well, <laughs> like that's, that's well. Little, you come a long way, is what I'm saying. Well, everybody didn't know that story. <laughs> <laughs> everybody
1: didn't know that, but there like were people. I, there were people that saw me a certain way, and that's one thing I learned in life. It's how people perceive you. Yeah, People perceive me a certain way. They saw me as, oh, he's the life of the party, he's the clown, blah, 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 blah. A lot of people didn't know the temple I had unless you had to push me there. Okay. So only a few people saw that, you know. But, and the people that were around me at the clubs, my homeboys, they knew it and they saw it. But a lot of people had a perception of me. And that's one thing I learned in life is how people perceive you. People going to treat you the way they perceive you. If they perceive you at a high level, they're going to treat you at a high level. If they perceive you at a low level, they're going to treat you at a low level. That's why people can walk by homeless people all day long because they see them in a certain light. And that's the one thing I've learned at at my age now. People will perceive you and put you in a box. And that's why I tell people never let nobody put you in a box. Never let nobody tell you what you can't do. Never let nobody tell you the sky's the limit. The limit is your mind. With your mind, you can expand and do anything you want to do. And because of my past, I always use that as a motivating factor. No, I didn't go to prison or nothing like that. Yes, I have been in the holding cell, but I never went to prison <laughs> or anything like that. And I didn't need to go to prison for that because I got my I got my wake up call because a lot of times, like for me, I was just I was just I was just floating through life. And that's why I always wanted to help veterans because I think had I got the initial help then I would in the military, I never would have pulled out a shotgun. I never would have done some of those things. I, I never would have done that. You know, I never would have found myself in certain situations.
0: How do you? How do you do that? Right. So you said you started talking to someone, and yep. that helped. Yep. But what are the the middle steps? Because it wasn't that you just got a master's degree. It wasn't that you just right. got a bachelor's degree. There were daily
1: steps that you had to take. Like
0: what is what was that like?
1: The daily steps for me were having goals, achievable goals. And what my first immediate goal was not was to stop drinking. I said. I know it's gonna take some time. So I said, let me stop drinking. So I went from, for example, drinking maybe ten beers a day and alcohol to like seven. Then from seven, it went to like three, and then from that, went to one. Then went to I won't drink enough for a while. And then I said, okay, I want something to drink. I can drink. So, and I started controlling it from there. And I just, I just set attainable goals. Like when I got the weight tech, I told myself, I said, I wanna, I wanna write. So. I wanted to, um, you know, be like a news reporter and write because I love to write. I've always had a, I always loved to write, so that was a goal of mine. And I accomplished that. I got I transferred to Central. I joined. Um, I, I wrote on um, the school newspaper, and throughout life, I just kept adding steps. I just kept saying, "Keep doing this and that," and I kept reminding myself. I said, "Okay, just use your mistakes as a building block to accomplish whatever goals you want to accomplish." And that's and that's what I did. And to this day, I, I do that. I can look at it now; it's in my rearview mirror. I can look at it now and say, "Okay, you've come a long way. You know your rights and wrongs." Like I don't, I don't drink and drive now. I don't. I, you can't get me to do the stuff I did at twenty four years old, like I used to do then. Um, I don't. I'm not. i am no i am no. I don't fight. But you now, trust me. Now, if it comes down to it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm fighting for my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I ain't no punk by no stretch. But that thinking is gone. But I, I took. I had little goals that I that I I wrote down, and I strive to. Um, to accomplish. And that's what helped me. And I, and, I, and I believed in myself. And having people believe in you. I had people, I had a teacher that she said, Donnell, I, I believe in you. You're a special talent. She said, I know you can do this and that. And when people tell you that, and they perceive you in a different way, and then you start perceiving yourself in a different way, you start to do better. And and that's what I did. And that's that's why I I walk around now with a very confidential attitude no i don't think i'm better than anybody but i, I but i know i'm capable of doing anything and I, and I try to give that energy off to other people people that's struggling. I, even when i talk to the veterans um I, I tell them the same thing i said you know you can either let what you're going through your your um your circumstances control you or you control it and and that's that's pretty much what my book is about too you know you you can't I don't care what you're going through in life. You can't let that consume you because if it consumes you, it eats you and controls you, and you have no you have no control over it. Thank you for bringing up your book
0: because I yeah. hadn't brought out okay, my okay, note sheet okay. about it because I've read a bit of it. Okay, and I was going to ask you. Um, you have a quote in there. It says, "As bad." Well, let's let's give them a synopsis of the book first. Okay. Uh, a kid named Paul, right. uh, basketball star, right. uh, gets cancer, uh, leukemia, yeah, leukemia, mm. and uh, it ruins his life because he's probably he was on his way to NC State. Yep, it was his senior year, um, but and so he becomes a very negative person, not like himself, like because it's him and his mom, right? And his dad died from cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And so he becomes a, a shell of himself but then he meets a kid named Jericho who's a very positive he's a lot younger yep. and through meeting Jericho he learns you know to be more positive and to get through it. So that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you um First of all, just going through the book, he started pushing people away because he was depressed. I mean, depressed, which rightfully so. He had cancer. Right? Um, Is that something that you did when you were when you were upset or sad? Were you pushing people away?
1: Yeah, I um, I avoided it. For me, it was alcohol and telling jokes. See, I was always known as as a as a funny person, class clown, that type of thing. So I pushed them away through alcohol. I tried to that's how i I would escape my issues, and that's not the way to go and that's why I say had I known then what I know now, I never would have had that problem like if if I was going through something now, I would take the same advice I gave I wrote about in the book with, yeah, and at the end, you say as bad as it,
0: as bad as it was to have cancer, it forced me to make a decision, deal with it or
1: let it kill me that's right. In this life, this there's nothing to learn. In, in life, we have choices. You have a choice. You either you're going to deal with something or you're going to let it deal with you. Just like getting angry. People don't believe this when I say it. You have a choice whether you're going to be mad or not mad. So if someone cuts you off in traffic, you have a choice whether to be mad or not be mad. That's up to you. Oh, no, they cut me off. I'm mad. That's a choice. See, I had to learn that. Don't get me wrong. i would be the first to admit.
0: <laughs> no, I was about to say, now road rage, I can't get behind when, because when, when I was, have road rage.
1: When it was taught to me, I said, man, what you talking about? I said, no, nah, you have a choice to be angry. I said, no, nah, I don't believe that. And they gave me an example. And I started practicing that. Now, it, it didn't come easy. And i would be the first to admit. I still get mad. So don't, <laughs> don't hear like, oh, you know, he don't get mad. But it's a choice in how we deal with anything. It's a choice if you want to be mad about something, you know. My daughter I, I have I have four four kids, four boys, two girls my two my my last two are girls my daughter's fifteen my daughter's my other daughter is six my 15 year old always saying something to try me. she'd do little stuff to bother me I mean because <laughs> you know I spoiled her so she's kind of she's daddy's girl, but I've, I've learned from that but however, Pharaoh, my daughter, will do certain things, and I learned to say, you know what I'm not going to get mad at that. I'm not going to let her get my blood pressure up. Because she's just doing it to tick you off. I'm going to find another way to deal with it. And once I started doing that, I ain't see myself. I won't get mad. I said, if I get mad, I'm going to say this, I'm going to do this and that. If I don't get mad, then I'm going to feel this type of way. So which one do you want to do, Dink? Because I ain't going to get mad. I, I do that. I practice that a lot, and it helps me a lot. And when you when I do that, when I take, I'm taking control of the situation now. Oh, you cut me off? Instead of me getting mad and blowing my horn, I, all right, cut me off. And I think about something else. I think about something that's more positive. We as humans control everything. You don't have to let something, I don't care what it is, I don't care if it's a divorce, I don't care if it's death, I don't care if you got a disease, I don't, I don't care what it is. You have the choice and you have the ability to control it and not let it control you. How many times you might have a co-worker, somebody, that when they come around, they will irk you? Right? Yeah. Now, you you know how this person is. Yeah. You know what they're going to say and what they do is going to bother you, right? Right. So you got a choice in the matter. How do you deal with it? Do you get them to walk away when they come over? Or if you can't walk away and they get to talk, how do you deal with it?
0: I just smile now. Like I send them, a, right. I send them a joke back, and well, it's I send them a joke back in a little bit of mean spiritness because I, but I think right. it's funny, but I know it's gonna irritate them a little bit. Right, right. But it's because I'm in a good mood now. Like you're not right. gonna get on my nerves.
1: Exactly. You figure it out, man. I ain't gonna be mad all day because they said this and that. I'm gonna give you probably the best example. Period. That's something I had to learn. I'm a big sports fan. Yeah. Anybody know me? I'm a big Wolfpack fan. I love them in football and basketball. I love the Los Angeles Lakers. Shout out to LeBron now. I love the Atlanta Braves. And I love the team that everybody loves to hate, the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, right? <laughs> you're a Cowboys I'm fan. I'm a big Cowboys fan. And they haven't, won a, they haven't won a Super Bowl since I had hair on my head, okay? I, I had a hairline the last he time. He is bald, guys. Yeah, yeah. The last time the Cowboys won the championship, I had. A, I actually had a hairline. All right. So so I watched them play. They lose a lot, whatever the case may be. I used to get mad. Cowboys lose the game, man. I get mad. I ain't want to talk to nobody. They lose now. I don't, okay, they lose. I don't let that bother me. I don't let that change my day. Like Some of my friends, like the Tar Heel fans, we're going to pick on the Tar Heels. If the Tar, you know, when the Tar Heels lose a the game, their Tar Heel fans lose their minds. They go crazy. Some of my friends don't want to talk. You know, even Duke fans. You know how some people are. Yeah. So I said to myself, I said, man, why am I going to let – the Dallas Cowboys ruin my day. I don't get paid if they win. I don't get paid if they lose. Why am I going to let them ruin my day and not want to speak to nobody because the Dallas Cowboys lose? <laughs> I got a thing. I said, that is dumb. I said, so we're going to let another team control how we feel if they win or lose. I said, no. Nah. I said, no, nah, man. I, gotta, I said, no, nah, I got better things to do than that. You know, there's other things I could be doing to make me happy, having sex, drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying, man, we control – how we handle situations.
0: True, I agree with you. We, we,
1: and we have to learn how to do it. Now, I'd be the first to admit, bro, there are times somebody may say something to me I probably will snap, but I'm also under, I'm also understand that I control my emotions. And that's why when I wrote that book, I wanted people to understand you control how you, the outcome of everything. In the book, Jericho had cancer too. Yeah, he did. But Jericho was totally different. His personality, his attitude with having cancer was 10 times better than Paul's. And Paul was like, what's wrong with this guy? This guy could die. He's happy. He's eating ice cream, and he's doing all these other things. He's rooting for the Wolfpack, so forth, so forth. That's because Jericho said, no, I'm going I'm to live my life. Jimmy Vervano, the late, great Jim Vervano, the yeah. coach at NC State, had, he had cancer. Jim Vervano was not going to let cancer stop him from giving that great speech at ESPN that day. He was going to live life to the fullest. The same thing with the late, great commentator that went to UNC, Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott, yeah. Stuart Scott was still doing judo and everything. And I thought about them, too, when I was writing the book, how, man, them guys, to me, cancer didn't kill them. Cancer didn't kill their spirit. They might have died because of it. But cancer didn't kill their spirit. They they beat cancer. They beat it because they did not allow cancer to stop them from suffering. It didn't stop them from, both of them accepting the, um, the wars, the ESPN. They lived their lives to the to the very last minute. So, how did you get the confidence to write a book? I always wanted to write one, man. Even when I was in the military and I was a complete fool (laughs) and didn't know nothing about life, I was a complete fool. I always wanted to write a book. And I said, one day I'm going to write a book. And I wrote the book. How I wrote this book, I was in church one day. And a song came on about the the sparrow. uh, What's the song? The choir song, a song by Mahayla Jackson. Um, The Sparrow something. Not quite sure the right name.
0: I'll mess uh, it up, um, but
1: she um, sung it. There was a kid in church who had cancer. He was sitting over there singing, happy. He's all get out, won't well, nothing bother him. And I, right then and there, I hearing the song, and then watching the young kid had cancer be so happy go lucky. I took a pen out and I wrote, "The sparrow will fly," and I started writing right then and there in church. That's 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 how that's the inspiration came from. And that's when I started writing. That's when I started writing about um, Paul and everybody. And everybody in the book has a biblical name. Everybody. Oh. Uh-uh. Everybody has, Everybody in the book has a biblical name. A lot of, some people didn't know that, but everybody in the book has Ezra. a biblical name. Everybody. His wife's name is Paul Christian. Yeah. Um, his his girlfriend, Ezra. Ezra. Seen the, yeah. Jericho. And the walls of Jericho. Everybody knows the story about the walls of Jericho. So um, every everybody in there um, has... A biblical, a biblical name because it's based off of faith and what and what you believe in, and um, it's it's always things like that
0: that'll give you perspective. Like yeah. yesterday, I went and volunteered in Wilmington, like okay. just to help out of the hurricane. And right. I just been complaining a lot, and then I was telling people. I was gutting houses of houses that right. were destroyed, and these right. people were in such a good mood. And I was like, I cannot believe that you had the nerve to complain about having to work 30 minutes late this week. Exactly. It, it, right. who, who are you? you? know. And they just put that you know, stuff in perspective.
1: Right. See, and, and that's the thing, man. That, that's how I carry life. Like when I, I wrote the book, I had to remind myself, hey, man, you know, your, your grandmother passed away and this person passed away. So how, how, how do you deal with it? How how do you how do you deal with pain? How do you deal with loss? How do you deal with the fact that you can't you can't do this or you can't do that? You know, that, that's the reason why I say in life you have to, out of every negative situation, I don't care what it is, there's always a positive situation. There's always a positive element that comes out of that. You you have to what I learned in life is that anything that's ever happened to me negative, I've turned around and made it positive. For all the non believers who didn't who didn't believe in me and they thought I was just a clown and, you know, who liked to run women and everything. <laughs> I proved that wrong. You know, you, you you are who you... You control your life. You control who you are. You control how you handle everything. We are our own gatekeepers. Nobody nobody can tell you, Justin, he can't do a radio. Nope, True. Nobody can tell this person over here that um, they're never, you know, oh, he got a spinal injury. He can't walk again. Who 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 are they to say you can't you're you're not going to walk again? Who? And I always carry that with me. That's the reason why... When I invite comedians on to, Amaz- to Liquor House, I explain to them the benefits of being on that show. But more so than anything, I tell them, I say, you control who you are and how far you want to go as a comedian. You control that. It begins here, but it's all up to you and how far you want to go with it. You control that. I tell every comedian that to get on that show, I say, you control who you are as a comedian. I don't care what this clown over here said about you. I don't care what this person said about you. You got a gift. God gave all of us a gift. Use your gift. And you be the best, and whatever you want to be, and it's and it starts here, and and that's how you have to approach everything in life. You can you control what happens. So what? So what if something bad happened to you? So what if you get diagnosed with something?
0: So what? Yeah, and it, it seems like to me you're embodying that because you're building your own brand. Right. Like right. Yeah. It, if if I mean, you still get booked at clubs, but if a Club didn't book you. You have your own show. Like my own show. You just yeah. doing it yourself. Like shout, no and, shout out to,
1: and shout out the to top banks for, for that for believing in me. Yeah. Shout out to him because he's made all that happen. Um. Yeah. I. Man. I've had. I had a, a club in um uh, New York. Tell me. They said. Well. You know. Well. Not Gotham. Because I already performed in Gotham. There was another club. I won't say the name. And they said. oh, we don't like your type of comedy. I said. Cool. You ain't got to like my type of comedy. That's fine. I didn't get mad. I just kept trying harder at what I did. And now. That club wants to have Looker House come up there. You see how that works? Yeah. So I, I didn't I didn't get highly pissed and I'm like, no, nah, I just keep working hard at what I do. I keep writing jokes and I keep practicing on it. And now Looker House, like I said, is It's, it's a bl- brand. It's a brand. It's a brand and they and they have and now we have actual breweries that want to sponsor Looker House. And there were people who said they believe in Looker House. There were people, there've been comedians that told me they don't want to be on there. There are people that don't, don't think it's good. So I had a choice then, Justin. I said, okay, what you going to do, man? You going to get mad at them? I said, no, nah, I don't get mad. I'm just going to make it bigger. I'm going to make it a big brand. Me and Ty going to make it a big brand. We're going to keep working hard at it, and we're going to put it out there, and dance on all these major platforms. You control what happens to your life. I don't care what you're going through in life. I don't care what it may be. I don't care if you got a sorry baby daddy or sorry baby mama, sorry parents. Okay, your parents mistreated you you were growing up. They did you wrong. Okay, what you going to do? You're going to sit there and cry every day. You're going to blame the world because your mom and dad beat you and did all these other awful things to you. No. You get up. You find a way to take control of the situation. And then once you find control of the situation, you go back and tell your mom and dad a thing or two, and you keep it moving. That's it. And and that's how you have to move through life. I don't I don't let nothing bother me. People say, man, you always happy. You're right. I'm happy. I'm always happy, especially if they got alcohol. So I'm <laughs> but no, man, I'm, I'm just not. I'm just other of opinion, man. You ain't going to spoil my day. I agree Be- with that Because we only live One life bro And I'm gonna live mine To the fullest. What's that song You boy singing? I'm living my best I, life I'm living my best life I ain't give nothing that- <laughs> You gotta live it man You gotta
0: live it mm. uh, So question from the internet Yeah go ahead Cause you get a lot done What are some Productive habits I should develop today What the what now What are some productive habits I should develop today?
1: In in terms of
0: Just in general.
1: Um, the number one productive habit anybody can have is having a positive attitude. Having a positive attitude is the drive it's like having an engine in your car. That's what's gonna take you to levels that you would never get to. If you got a negative attitude, you're gonna do negative things. But you get that positive attitude, you're gonna do positive things and you surround yourself with positive people and you keep positive energy going. That's the number one thing you do. Second of all, you believe in yourself and what you want to do. Continue to believe in yourself. And as you believe in yourself, surround people around you who believe in you and share your same vision. And and that's what you have to continue to do. And always, always be humble for um, constructive criticism. Always be humble. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you are... Seen as the best of what you do. Remain humble, because a humble person can will always see things and can always go places that a non-humble person won't go. Because a non-humble person won't take the time to listen to the things that are very important and vital to them. So always, so do those things, and and you will go real far in life. So
0: Dink, I told you the last part we had a surprise. All right, go ahead, man. And uh, I like to call this part motivational speech. All right, go ahead. And I put some music on. Go ahead, man. And I want you to do your motivational speech.
1: Go ahead, man. Do it. Let's go. Listen, you got one time in this life to breathe and to be anything you want to be. So when you wake up every morning, you have a goal. And with that goal, you come out thinking, what can I do to inspire myself and inspire others around me? And once you do that... You'll be, a, you'll be a better person Set out a goal Set out to accomplish anything that you want to accomplish Don't let the negativity get to you Don't let the naysayers get to you You just keep, keep everything in front of you And you keep everything positive And you continue to stay motivated And as you do that You remember how far you come along And how far you want to go Any obstacle that you see in yourself You leap over it If you fall down you get back up If you fall down again you get back up If you can't get back up You ask somebody to help you get back up and you keep going forward and you keep striving you never let nobody tell you no you never let the negativity get to you and you never ever ever give up on what dreams you want to have what's put inside of you is inside of you for a reason it's inside of you for you to do something that will inspire people and that and to also serve as a representation and a symbol of anything can be done don't ever let nobody tell you what you cannot do and like i said whatever's in you you're supposed to do so if you're supposed to be a nurse, you be a nurse. you're supposed to be a doctor, you be a doctor. If you supposed to be a rapper, you be a rapper. If you're supposed to be a comedian, you be a comedian. If you're supposed to be a construction worker, you do it. You If you're supposed to be a hotel worker, whatever you wanna do. If you wanna be a teacher, you do it. You don't let nothing stop you. I don't care what it is. Don't let it be death. Don't let it be an injury. Don't let it be nothing. Keep striving. You
0: wanna be a stripper, you be a stripper. You
1: be a stripper. That's right. You wanna be a stripper, you be a stripper. So what you got going on? Well, I want to go to open mic tonight, but I don't think they got any going on. So They do. I'm about to go to one right after this.
0: Where? Uh, Noni's doing one. It's a clean one, so Where? that might be hard for you. It's right down the street. What time? Six o'clock. I told her
1: I'd be late, and you can come too. Oh, man. it's <laughs> <laughs> I might have to check that out, man. I might have to check that out. I, I got some clean jokes, man. I, how many minutes? Uh, five,
0: but she said you can go over. So 5 to 7.
1: Clean. Okay. Ah, I got to think of some clean stuff. Okay. Yeah. Hey, man, I we'll can just that. go
0: together after this. Yeah, we'll do that. So pitch pitch
1: what you have going on. Uh, you have? Um, Well, well, the next Liquor House Comedy Show is going to be at Charlie Good Nights, uh, November 10th, 1030 show. So if you're watching this and you live in the Raleigh, Durham, Chopper Hill area, please come out. The tickets are are $10. Uh, last show we had at Charlie Good Nights was on August 18th. We sold out, and they had to turn people away. So definitely come. Um, also, check out my, my comedy special, Ghetto Rachi, which is on Amazon Prime. And you can hear it on Pandora and Looker House Comedy. Check that out. I'm the host of that. And that's on um, Amazon Prime. And you can and you can hear it on Pandora, Spotify, Tidal, and Google Play.
0: Thanks, man. What's the last thing you want to say to the people before we get out of here? Um,
1: Thanks, thanks for tuning in. And I hope that I helped somebody out there today because somebody helped me along the way.
0: Y'all, that was humor and mistakes on 1035 FM, WCOM radio station, Chapel Hill and Carborough. Thank y'all for tuning in. This was Dink Kearney. And uh, like I tell everybody, everybody makes mistakes, but it's okay. Have a great week, everybody.